At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Wednesday edition of the PFTPM podcast. We have two head coach interviews coming up on the Wednesday edition of the show. Matt LaFleur of the Packers, Adam Gase of the New York Jets. So here's the quick overview of the show. I'm going to babble for a little bit about whatever I happen to trip over when I look at PFT or Twitter. Then I'm going to throw it to Matt LaFleur. Then we're going to hear from LaFleur. Then we're going to hear from Gase. Then I'm going to answer some of your questions. Only the best questions today, people. So if you've asked one, You're only getting the answer to it if it was a good question. I'm not going to go on and on. I don't want to flood your phone with an hour and a half podcast today. We're looking to keep this to an hour. I got about 30 minutes of interview time, so I got about a 30-minute talk window. Let's get right to it. I haven't written about this yet. I just noticed as I clicked onto Twitter that Antonio Brown is at it again. Antonio Brown responding to Bruce Arians, the Buccaneers head coach, former Cardinals head coach, former Steelers offensive coordinator who was with the Steelers when Antonio Brown was drafted in 2010. Bruce Arians said on the Adam Schefter podcast that there's too much diva in Antonio Brown. Brown says of Arians, he didn't draft me, he drafted Emmanuel Sanders. Well, frankly, he drafted neither guy because he's the offensive coordinator. He was with the team when Antonio Brown was drafted, and he was with the team when Sanders was drafted. Same guy who missed rehab to go on networks to talk about me on situations he has zero clue. That's a shot at Sanders. Arians now wears Kangol hats and glasses, but I'm a diva. Done seen it all, then they say we're friends. Stop lying. That was the latest. Not the latest. That was the first in the latest storm of tweets from Antonio Brown. Then he has another one answering a question about, let's see, the question was from uh, Dwight Miller. Hey, AB, you said the other day that you're waiting by your phone. Can you verify that by returning Art Rooney's call? Brown says, clearly they feel indifferent about me seeing all these reports. The big interview is coming. Watching my teammates, fans, and organizations show me how they really feel. Stay woke. Boy, it sounds like he wants out. I thought that all along, that he wants out. And he says the interview that he's doing is coming. So this is moving toward Terrell Owens' 2005 territory more and more every day. And it's clear to me now that Brown has had enough of the Steelers, regardless of whether or not the Steelers have had enough of him. And it, and it looks like and feels like the Steelers have indeed had enough of Antonio Brown. All right, what else is happening in the National Football League? John Filippo landing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So you know what that means. That means that the... The speculation is going to intensify that the Jaguars will be one of the teams making a run at Nick Foles because DiFilippo was the quarterback's coach in Philadelphia last year when Foles became the Super Bowl MVP. And the Jaguars definitely need a quarterback, so it's going to be see you later, Blake Bortles, possibly hello, Nick Foles. And Nick Foles and the Jaguars will make sense because I was told today, and this, this, isn't, this isn't brain surgery, it's obvious, the Eagles are desperate to keep Foles 
away from the Giants or from Washington. They don't want Foles in the division. So you trade him out of the conference. The Jaguars, perfect. Trade him. Trade him to Jacksonville. Yeah, maybe we'll see him in the Super Bowl. Good problem to have. We don't want to compete with him in the division. We don't want to compete with him in the conference. Send him to Jacksonville. Send him to Denver. Send him to a team where this isn't somebody that we're going to have to face on a regular basis. So put the Jaguars at the top of the list as potential Nick Foles destinations. And Blake Bort- maybe Blake Bortles can be the backup to Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. Greg Williams officially hired by the Jets. You'll hear Adam Gase talk about Williams, talk about the second chances he's gotten after Bounty Gate from seven years ago. And there it was, back page of the New York Post. Bounty Gase, they, they said, after it got out that Williams is the guy. But exciting times for the New York Jets. And you'll hear, and you really need to listen to Gase. I, if you're already listening, I assume you're going to stick around and listen to Gase. I think that if you're a Jets fan, you're going to come away from this thinking, we're going to be okay with Adam Gase. Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald was on PFT Live today, and I asked him, are Dolphins fans worried about Adam Gase leaving Miami and heading for the Jets? And the answer essentially from Salguero was no, but they should be. And I think they will be when they hear what Gase had to say coming up. The enthusiasm in his voice the, the energy, the spirit, everything that goes along with what he's bringing to New York and what he's bringing to the table with Sam Darnold as his quarterback. Art Rooney II has spoken today. He apparently told... You know, there, there were more... See, he's, he's, he's talking to Steelers.com at some point today, but another comment to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, they, they haven't had Antonio Brown trade talks yet. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The the trade window doesn't open until the middle of March. And yes, last year, the Chiefs in Washington announced a tentative deal to send Alex Smith from KC to DC, and that can happen. It doesn't become official until March 13. That's when it's going to be done by, if it's going to be done. And I think somebody is going to contact the Steelers at some point, and I think there will be multiple teams. And, you know, Antonio Brown's got to be careful. If he's going to go on some sort of a scorched earth campaign against the Steelers, you could scare away potential suitors because the thinking will then be, at some point, it's going to be us that he's directing that venom toward. Venom directed to the Patriots. What a shock. People are claiming that the Patriots are cheaters. Both Eric Dickerson and Dick Vermeil are banging that drum again regarding the the Patriots and past allegations of cheating. And remember the Boston Herald more than 10 years ago suggesting that the walkthrough practice of the then St. Louis Rams before Super Bowl 35 had been taped by the 36 had been taped by the New England Patriots, the the uh, former employee who either went on the record or he was the unnamed source. So remember, that was such a big deal right before Super Bowl 42. And the Boston Herald ultimately retracted it. You still got some people with the Rams or who were connected to the Rams who are salty about it. And uh, Dick Vermeil made a comment today that, or recently that the Chiefs, he thinks, will beat the Patriots because the Chiefs don't cheat. And Eric Dickerson, who wasn't on that Rams team, but is is connected to the Rams, tied to the Rams, saying the same thing. And others like Marshall Falk continue to insist there was cheating by the Rams, and uh, others have done the same thing. So, uh, cheating by the Patriots against the Rams, and and if it's Patriots versus Rams in Super Bowl 30, from 36 to 53, 17 years later, you, we know 
that that one of the dominant storylines heading into that game will be a complete and total dusting off of the report from the Boston Herald that was later retracted by the Herald under uh, immense pressure and presumably legal threats. Other things happening in the National Football League, the practice reports emerging, Eric Berry, the safety who tore his Achilles tendon week one of the 2017 season against the New England Patriots. He practiced today. He did not play against the Colts. He was inactive, but he's been playing some, but not much. He's got the lingering heel problem. The Chiefs are going to need him if they want to slow down the the New England offense and they got Sammy Watkins back last week and that's going to be significant going against the New England defense especially because the New England defense can't solve Tyreek Hill but uh, the, the key is getting everyone they have on that roster healthy and ready to go because the Chiefs will have their hands full when the Patriots come to town I, I just think that there's something about that playoff experience that we cannot underestimate and I think that the Patriots are going to welcome this challenge. And I know that, you know, when they go on the road in the postseason and it doesn't happen very often, it's a mixed bag. And they lost to Denver three years ago at Mile High Stadium. I, I, I tell you what, the picks are coming tomorrow. Do not be surprised. Even though I'm all in with the Chiefs and I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL right now, best player in the NFL at any position, don't be surprised if I end up picking the Patriots when it's time to select one team over the other. All right, let's get to the interviews. He was the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator in 2018. Last year, he was the Rams offensive coordinator. This time around, he was calling plays, and now he's going to be calling the shots with the Green Bay Packers. Here's a conversation I had earlier today with Matt LaFleur. Joining us now, the brand-new head coach of the Green Bay Packers by way of the Tennessee Titans, he is Matt LaFleur. Matt, congratulations on the new gig, and welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Mike. You know, when you think back over the last 11 days – when you hadn't even interviewed for the job in Green Bay, to go from, hey, I'm going to interview for this job tomorrow, to here we are, you've, you've got the job, you've had the job for a week now. Give me one word that would best summarize this experience for you. Unreal. Well, and that's a fair, that, that would, that would, I would agree with that as well, because it just seems like it happened so quickly. And I know that, that you said you were speechless when you got the phone call from Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst Monday of last week offering you the job. Did, did you think when they called you back that they were going to ask you maybe to come in for a second interview? I mean, because it seems like they, 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 re, they had their guy and they moved without any hesitation at a time when it seems like these jobs, at least in the past, they've, they've been a little bit slower to get to the point where they make a hire. Yeah, to be honest with you, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, you know, I, I, I figured I was at least in the running, you know, having talked to Aaron at the tail end of it. And um, when they called, it was just, it was a dream come true for me. And I'm so fortunate to be in this situation and um, just really thankful for, for, you know, having learned from so many great people that were able to, you know, help me out, help me out along this process. You know, you're a Michigan guy, born and raised, went to college there. How do you explain to people in Michigan that you're going to be the head coach of the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> well, surprisingly enough, there there are a lot of Green Bay Packer fans in the state of Michigan. And I, I, I realized that firsthand when, at my time at Northern Michigan University. I, I was a, the quarterback and receiver coach up there. It was actually my first job out of college. And I feel like everybody in the 
at least in the upper peninsula of Michigan, are Packer fans. During the interview with Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst, was there a point where you realized, you know what, this is going pretty well. I'm starting to get a good feeling that this could lead somewhere very positive for me. Yeah, it was, you know, it was real conversational. And, and uh, I felt like the rapport that I had with those three guys was, was excellent. And, um, you know, just really thankful to those guys for entrusting me with this, with this job of, um, you know, trying to do whatever we can to bring a Lombardi trophy back here uh, to Green Bay. You go into your office for the first time, close the door, you sit down by yourself. Give me your, give me your thoughts, give me your feelings when it finally hits you that, that this is your reality moving forward. Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it's one of those moments where you're just, you're trying to soak it all in. And, and then, honestly, I didn't sit there too long and, and um, think about it because my mind was moving on. All right, what do I got to do next? And that's really trying to assemble a, a, the best coaching staff that we can find. You're keeping Mike Pettin as the defensive coordinator. He arrived last year. How involved will you be in the nuts and bolts in the day-to-day of the, the running, the execution, the planning of the defense? Well, I think anytime you're a head coach, you, you definitely have to have a pulse of what's going on in, in all three phases. And, you know, it was a great experience, my time in L.A., being so close to Sean McVay and, and watching him, how, how he handled that whole whole process with Wade and, and with um, – with bones there with the special teams. So, um, it, you know, it gave me great insight on what I need to do and my responsibilities as a head coach. At what point in your career, Matt, did you start consciously paying attention to the things that head coaches do, knowing that at some point that may be something you're expected to do day in and day out? You know, I think it was really uh, our time in Atlanta um, is where I, I just, especially we were starting to have more success and then, you see guys close to you like Kyle Shanahan and, and some of these guys are, are getting looked at for head coaching opportunities. And um, I just think that that's the time where I really started to focus on, you know, what would I do in this situation? Do you bring with you a playbook or are you going to construct a playbook based upon what you expect to have from a personnel standpoint? Yeah, I think the the, the foundation of our offense will, will stay pretty much the same as it's always, you know, as it's been. But I think coaching is finding out, you know, really evaluating your roster, finding out what these guys do well, and then trying to put them in the best position possible to, for them to have success. So it will be a work in progress. Um, as we assemble the staff, there's going to be a lot of guys that I haven't worked with before. And certainly they're going to have, um, you know, ideas on how to do certain things and uh, we'll make it our own offense and that's similar to what we did you know you know in Tennessee and in LA and Matt last year when John Gruden got back into the NFL he was not bashful about complaining about the rules that prevent him from interacting with his players and meeting with his players watching film going over plays getting ready for the season how frustrating will it be for you to not be able to really start grinding and start working directly with guys like Aaron Rodgers to help him understand what's going to be expected, help you understand what he wants to do, and really take advantage of the next few months to get everything in place for the first season? Well, to be honest with you, I don't spend too much time thinking about it because the rules are the rules, and they're there for a reason. And, you know, um, I've had – this will be my third – 
year one in a row, and I'm not always not really proud of that necessarily, but I've been through the process for three straight. This will be the third year, and um, you know, so I have a pretty good idea of of how we want to go about about that process of installing and, and really teaching our players. You mentioned some of the things you learned from Coach Sean McVay a couple of years ago in Los Angeles. Last year with Mike Vrabel in Tennessee, his first year with the Titans. Give me the best thing you learned from him that will prepare you for the job you now have. Um, Mike did a great job leading, leading our team. Uh, the one thing I thought that, and I really took for him and have a great appreciation for him is, you know, he, he definitely sets a standard and he's very direct with our guys and, and what those expectations are. And it doesn't matter who you are on that roster, whether you're, you're our top guy or, you know, you're a backup, it, it, he's going to speak to everybody and hold everybody to the same standard. Give me the best piece of advice you've ever gotten from anyone that will that you believe will help you be successful as the head coach of the Packers. Be yourself, without a doubt. Um, you, you you've got to be true to who you are and what you believe in. And I think you know you're dealing with people, and people want to you know follow guys that are are genuine and and have a good plan. Now you're not going to put that on your play sheet like Matt Nagy does, are you? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> um, the the you know one of the things that we've heard you've got the connection to Sean McVay and there's this push for offensive guys, push for quarterback gurus, push for guys with a connection to McVay. And some people have pushed back saying, "Oh, that's it's you know it's overblown, it's too much. Why are we getting all these Sean McVay guys?" Does it bug you to hear people you know raising that concern that that uh, oh if anybody's got any connection whatsoever to Sean McVay as a head coach now with that implicit suggestion that maybe maybe that the candidate hasn't earned it on his own merit. You know, that stuff doesn't really affect me at all. You know, I think it's a great credit to Sean. I think, uh, you know, Sean, I knew from the first time I met him that he was going to be a head coach. He just has that way about him, and he's extremely intelligent and loves football. So, you know, people are going to say whatever they want. That doesn't drive me. What drives me every day is – I've been fortunate again to be around a lot of great coaches and just seeing the level at which they work and, and the standard that they have for themselves. That's what drives me every day to, to really just to become the best version of myself. We spent some time last year with general manager Brian Gutekunst, and it became clear that he's going to approach the construction of a roster in an aggressive way. He's going to use all of the devices available, free agency, the draft, et cetera. How closely are you working with him to, to try to get the kind of player, whether it's the body type, the skill set, the things he can do, the things he can't do, that, that will help you have the kind of offense that you want to put on the field? Yeah, I think uh, Brian and I are going to work extremely well together and, and, and close together. And I think that's part of the reason I'm here is because we hit it off uh, in the interview process. I can tell we have very, uh, very similar, um, if not the same vision, and we will be on the same page. And I, that's what was so enticing about this job is to come here and work with such a high-quality person and, and a guy that's great at his job. Uh, you know, I couldn't be more excited. Did you know Gutekunst before the interview, or was this just something where, hey, first meeting, we sit down, we talk, and everything clicks? Yeah, I did, I did not. Um, you know, I'd always heard very good things about him from from the people in Tennessee. I know he was close with John Robinson and Ryan Cowden there, and uh, they couldn't speak higher of him. So that, that got me excited because, 
you know, I'd worked with those guys for a year and I really trusted, you know, both John and Ryan and, um, for them to speak so highly of Brian, I just, uh, I was, I was thrilled. There was a lot of talk at your introductory press conference from CEO Mark Murphy about a sense of complacency that had developed among the players and among the coaches. What is your plan for eradicating that and also keeping it away moving forward? Yeah, I think it's all about the type of people you bring in the building. And then again, you know, having a clear vision of what you want and setting standards and, and making sure that, you know, I, I've been around again some some really good coaches, and, and one in particular, Kyle Shanahan, would always tell us, "Hey, you're either you're either getting better or you're getting worse," and we got to make sure that every day we take advantage of that day and make sure we we do everything in our power to become better. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to working with a starting quarterback who is one of the best who has ever played in 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 the NFL's uh, entire history in Aaron Rodgers, considering that he's all not all that much younger than you either? Well, I, I tell you what, that, I, that's a good problem. <laughs> if there is a problem, I mean, there's these jobs um, where you come in with a, a player of that caliber just don't come open. And for me to have the opportunity to to work with a guy like Aaron, um, I could tell while talking to him throughout the process that he is extremely passionate and he just wants to win. Um, and so I am so fired up to get a, get a chance to, to work with him and, you know, let's do whatever we can do to the best of our abilities. Well, everything is looking good for Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers moving forward. Matt, we appreciate some of your time. Wish you all the best moving forward and look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks to the Packers and Matt LaFleur for the interview, for the opportunity to have a conversation. I don't know Matt LaFleur. Hadn't talked to him before. Look forward to meeting him at the scouting combine and at the league meetings and talking to him again. The Packers, are they in good hands? Are they not? We don't know. We won't know. That's one of the fun aspects, one of the aggravating aspects, if you're a fan of the team, of having someone who was a coordinator and never a head coach step into that job. They either get it done or they don't. And we'll know soon enough whether any of these guys who have never been head coaches before will be able to get it done. By the way, if you need auto parts but can't get to the store just yet, head to O'ReillyAuto.com. You can buy your parts online and pick them up in any of the 4,500 O'Reilly Auto Parts stores nationwide. No shipping costs, easy returns, and convenient pickup on your schedule. Shop your way for the parts you need at O'ReillyAuto.com. That's O-R-E-I-L-L-Y Auto. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Okay, Matt LaFleur, not the only head coach that we spoke to today. I also had an opportunity to have a fairly extended conversation with the former Dolphins coach, new Jets coach, Adam Gase. Here it is. Three weeks ago, he was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Now he's the head coach of the New York Jets. He is Adam Gase, and he joins us now. Coach, how are you? I'm great. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. And it just occurred to me as we were getting ready to do this. I mean, three weeks ago, you're getting ready to face the Bills in week 17 as head coach of the Dolphins. If I tell Adam Gase three weeks ago today, you're going to be the coach of the Jets three weeks from now. What does Adam Gase of three weeks ago say? If you would have told me the week before that, I probably would have said you were crazy. Before the Buffalo game, I probably that wouldn't have shocked me. Why do you say that? I don't know. It's, you can always feel when something's not right. It's a, just one of those things when you've done this long enough, you you realize kind of where you stand, and there was open dialogue. So, you know, I I was hoping we'd play better. I, ho- I was hoping to win that game. 
you know, it just would have been it would have been better for us if we would have went in the offseason eight and eight. Do you think it would have made a difference in what unfolded in Miami if you had won that last game? It could have. You know, we'll never know. I mean, maybe there's, you know, you win that game and there's just always a different feeling after a win. How how much did you push things to a head in Miami? I mean, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but I'm just curious because there was a sense that the owner was going to take his time and, and think things through. Did, did you in any way take the bull by the horns and say, look, I may have other opportunities. I want to know what's going on. I don't want to twist here for a week or two. I, I want to know where I stand. No, that wasn't that wasn't something that I had to do or was looking to do. I I was focused on trying to help us win that that last game and really keeping our guys focused and not listening to the outside noise. You know, it was starting to get a little louder at that point. And you know, we were trying to get the guys that we had available to us to play as well as they could. We knew we were in for a challenge. We knew we struggled with Josh Allen the, the the last time we played him. We knew we were going into a, an environment where the fans were going to be fired up because it was going to be Kyle Williams' last game. So we knew we had a lot of things that we had we had to overcome. But after that game ends, is your mindset, I'm going to sit back and wait and see what happens, or is it, come on, let me know where I stand so I can make plans with my life? I knew we were going to talk the next day. So, I mean, it was it was already – I knew that there was going to be a conversation on Monday. Why was it important for you to get right back at it instead of taking a year off like Mike McCarthy did? Yeah, you know what? I I thought about it, and I didn't have a ton of time to think about it. But I knew I was going to do the interviews. But then I, I knew I always had the opportunity to sit back and say, if I don't want to do it, then I can pull away. If I want to do be a coordinator, I have opportunities there. If I don't want to do that, I can go coach my son's flag football team. That was his suggestion. And I wasn't <laughs> really feeling that. I really have to hear him complain enough. He's six. He's got a lot of ideas. And I'm really a one-way kind of guy. I'm, I want to do it the way I want to do it. He's, he's got his own opinion. How how big of a deal is it for you to stay in the division? Uh, you know the teams, you know the Dolphins, you know the Jets from having to face them. How much of an attraction was that? It's a it's a huge attraction because you already know the division. You know the team you just came from. The hardest thing, the thing that I'm trying to to really get caught up on is the actual offense of the team I'm with because I spent more time going against the defense. I'm trying to learn our offensive personnel here and the rest of the, the rest of the division. I, for the most part, I I know well enough. Everything seemed to move so fast this year in the hiring cycle. The first week was quiet, but for the interviews, but then the dominoes started to fall very, very quickly. How surprised were you that those jobs started to fill up as quickly as they did last week? One on Monday, two on Tuesday, three on Wednesday with, I don't think anybody had a second, uh, a second round of interviews. It was one interview, make your decision and go. How surprised were you by that? I think there's more than what you realize just because you don't have to fly back in. I mean, with FaceTime and Skype and all that stuff, that makes it easier for front office guys and ownership, you know, players, if they have players involved to be able to FaceTime you or Skype you. And basically you can, you can answer questions face to face without your, without being there. 
And I think that interaction is is a good part of that process because now you don't have guys flying back and forth. Hey, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. It's just more personable when you do it that way. Did you talk to Sam Darnold before you got the job offer in New York? I w- he was involved in a three-way FaceTime, which that was the first time I learned that there is a three-way FaceTime. <laughs> which I'm fired up the, uh, about. I learned how to do it, and I've been I've been just r- randomly doing it. And I think that you can do like even more than that. I haven't tried it. That's I've just seen the commercial where That's they have like they, the have street, eight, yep. they they have eight Elvises uh, all communicating with each other at the same time from all across the world. What was your impression of Darnold after talking to him in that setting before you actually got the job offer? I love the questions he was asking. He was he was on it for what he was what was going through his mind, what he was looking for. The questions he was asking me about offense, kind of how I've gone about in the past of handling certain situations just in just football wise and and with quarterbacks and the offense. I, I just you could see there's 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 a great energy about him to where he he loves his game. He's he's got that fire in him where he's always looking to learn. And anytime you're around a a, a young kid like that that already kind of has that part of it. That's that's a that's something you want to be a part of. A lot of times you have to you have to get young guys to understand. Hey, athletic ability only gets you so far. It's it's expanding your mind. It's making sure that you're constantly learning. That's the key to being a great player. What's the benefit of getting a kid early in his career versus various other stages? And you've had Peyton Manning late in his career. You had Tim Tebow fairly early, Jake Cutler late in his career. What's the benefit of getting Sam Darnold right now with one year of NFL experience? I think this is the youngest I've ever had and an experience with a quarterback. So every the older guys that I've had, you know, it's it's the back half of their career. Physically, there there were limitations there, and, and they were fighting through injury and just just father time, basically. Where now it's like, all right, hey, you're 21, your body feels great, you recover quickly, you can make all the throws, you can move around. It's just it's a it's almost like a it's a new experience for me. I think it's an exciting one. I'm I'm really. I'm anxious to kind of get going, and I know that you love to make sure everybody knows when the the CBA rules really start taking place so i know i can't do anything till april so i mean i'm i got a ways to go i just want i want to get to that point i detect some sarcasm in your response really i was kind of laying it on pretty thick there (laughs) just a little bit um but but that's part of the reality right you're limited in when you can actually work with this guy john gruden was very loud about it last year multiple times complaining about these rules i mean how how do you strike that balance and i know you can't communicate with him but but you want to get going i mean how do you occupy yourself at a time when you'd prefer to just be working with your quarterback well in the first year at least you you're putting together a staff you're evaluating your own players, which that's where, and I've heard this for, I don't know how many years. And, and I, I remember when I first got to Miami, I always heard, you know, the biggest mistake people make is they misevaluate their own. And really that's where you have to do a great job in that process. When the coaching staff gets here is evaluating your own guys and making sure that, that we know everything and that we don't make a mistake to where 
we let a guy go that's really ends up being a good player for somebody else. We, we can't have that happen. We have to do a great job with our own guys. And then making sure that we hammer down the free agency and we do a great job there and then the draft. And then we, it's, then we finally get with our own players. So, I mean, we got some time, but we got plenty of stuff that we can do in the meantime. We just have to make sure when our players do get here in the spring that we're ready to roll. Everything's clean. There's no gray and our guys can just roll. You guys have a ton of cap space. How do you balance the search for players when you're going to have guys with the dollar signs in their eyes that are thinking about getting the most possible money they can versus guys who are going to fit into the team structure that you're going to be trying to build? I think a lot of times when you when, when we get to that point, because it feels like an eternity away. I know it's not, but it feels that way. I mean, we're not even done with the current season as it is. But when we do get to that point, it's just it's one of those things where relationships throughout the league, you know, there's so many guys that you've been around that you know, even on other teams that you've you've met throughout the years, you, you know, guys that you can call or there's guys that you can other players you can talk to or or that you've heard talk about and that say, hey, this guy's always been a great guy, and you always memory bank stuff like that when you ever. If you're ever worried about a guy's character, you usually hear about it before we even hit hits free agency. You know, I've sensed at times in the past when you're dealing with the South Florida media that, that, that there's been, and I sense an overriding desire to protect your players and not say anything that's going to put them in a compromising position. And if, if there's any heat to be taken, you want to take it instead of them. But that's a very different media environment, a different media attitude than what you're dealing with in New York. What's been your early impression of the differences between the folks in South Florida and the folks you're dealing with now? Well, I've only done, I mean, I had that one day of three hours or whatever we did. I mean, it, it was really the same routine. It's, it's weird because you never think three years later, you're going to be doing the same thing and going through that process. It is what it is. It's three hours of media. I mean, it's a, it's a grind and you're going through it and you, you're trying to keep bringing that energy throughout the three hours and, you know, you never want to say anything that's – you never want to get ahead of yourself. You want to make sure you focus on what you're doing, which is for us, it's the coaching – like coaching staff. We're trying to put that together. And it's – everybody wants to get ahead of what you're doing. It's just – it's hard to give answers with that. And I know it sounds like you're being evasive and things like that, but you're not. You're just – that's where you're at right now in the process. And it's hard from – it's always hard for me to go too far ahead because that's just not how I operate. That's not how I think. Your biggest hire so far, Greg Williams, is defensive coordinator. What attracted you to him? You know, I think it's just, I mean, I've, I've known him for, God, it's, I, I don't even know, 10, 12 years. You know, he's, he's somebody that I've gone against multiple times. I always enjoyed facing him because I, I knew what kind of team I was going to be going against. I knew there was always some it just there was an energy that was brought any time that we played a game where he was a defensive coordinator because I knew what he was bringing. He knew what, who, what my offense was going to bring as far as intensity and physicality and, and just the, the, the grind that we were going to put into to that game. And I, I've always wanted to work with him. I've always wanted to go against him in practice. I felt like I love the way that his players feel about him, the swagger, the attitude that he brings to, to his group. I love his experience and the fact that he's been a head coach and he's coming off. I mean, he goes to, he, he takes over Cleveland's deal and they're winning ball games over there. 
and and he's acting like this is what it was. This was what it was going to be the whole time. Like he didn't even blink an eye. Like he, he wasn't surprised. And I love that about him. I love the way that he his attitude is just infectious. And I think one of the dynamics when you get into a professional football organization or really any football team, you get a collection of alpha males and you have to figure out how everybody's going to get along. And you've got a strong desire to win, strong personality, type A. Greg Williams, strong desire to win, strong personality, type A. How do you get to the level of comfort that everything's going to work out and everybody's going to get along and there aren't going to be any issues? I mean, we're, we're here to win. That's what we're here to do. I'm not, I, I don't go into this thinking, hey, this is going to, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. I'm not worried about anything. I'm worried about how are we going to win football games? How are we going to get our guys ready? How are we going to put the best team possible? How are we going to put the best coaching staff together? And that, that's why Greg is the, the first guy that really that we're getting on board right now is he's going to be involved in with, with doing that. And I, when he gets here, then him and myself, we're going to hammer this defensive staff out, get that put together. And then eventually the offensive staff is going to come together and then then we're going to be ready to roll like i'm excited i i I just keep picturing practice of this is what's going to be the difference maker for us is it's going to be like a game every day because the the competition and the competitiveness between greg myself the staffs that's what you want that's how you get that energy you want to where the players feel that they're practicing like that they're creating that attitude so now all of a sudden it becomes the fourth quarter it's a close game our guys have been there before the new york post has already brought up the bounty issue i know it's been seven years but greg williams was right in the middle of that it was a black eye for the saints for the league does that come up at all in your thought process is there even a little piece of you that has to resolve that everything's fine there it's not going to be an issue it's not going to be a problem it's not going to be something that drags us down we can get past that i just greg greg paid his greg greg was penalized for that heavily and football was taken away from him like he 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 did his time and you know that's what makes this country great, right? It's a, it's a, people get second chances all the time. He's gotten a second chance. He's done it right. He's gone, and he has worked extremely hard to do things right. And for me to me or anyone else to hold that over his head to me is it's it's wrong. It's it's just like when we give players second opportunities. It's the same thing. People make mistakes. We've moved on from it. He paid it. He he did his time and. To me, I'm, that's something I'm not even concerned about. Before we wrap up, I want to go back to what your life must have been like that week after the Buffalo game. Monday, it ends in Miami, and instantly you're, you are whisked into this interview cycle for all of the vacancies. I mean, give, give me an idea what goes on when you go in for an interview. What, what kind of preparation goes into it? What, what, what do you put together? What do you even have time to put together when you're fired one day and you're interviewing with the Cardinals the next day? Uh you think quick on your feet. You know, there, there was a lot of – the good thing was I, I had an idea of the moving pieces that were going on in the coaching world with who could be available coaching staff-wise. Teams were great with me and were willing to talk through, understanding that, hey, I was a head coach on Sunday. I'm fired on Monday. Tuesday I'm on a – I think it was Wednesday I was on a plane to interview at Arizona – I stayed there, came back, flew out Friday to go see the Jets, flew back, or I actually went from Arizona to New York, then I went New York to Florida and then interviewed with Green Bay on Sunday. So, I mean, it was 
everything was fast. I was doing the best I could of, of putting the staff together, listening to who had been let go, who who what guys were staying to where I could just have a, a staff kind of ready to present to ownership. Before we wrap, what would you say to Jets fans out there who are just skeptical? They say, well, it really didn't go well the last two years in Miami and the time in Denver. That's all Peyton Manning. That's not Gase. And we don't really know what to think about this guy. What would you say to those fans who are just kind of taking a wait-and-see approach? I just look at it like this. We're going to put in the work. We're going to be able to – when we get to Sunday, that's really going to be our test. And that's if, – if people need to wait to Sunday and see wins and losses and they need to go through a – that's – like I, I, I get it, but I'm, I, I guess I'm the kind of person that is, I'm gonna put, we're gonna put the work in, we're gonna be ready to go, and we're, we're looking to win. So, that's, that's kind of our mindset. That's what we're looking to do. We have expectations as a, as a coaching staff. We have expectations at, as players, and we're, we're gonna look to make, meet those expectations. April, when the schedule comes out, who do you want Week One? Patriots or the Dolphins? Ooh, I. I I'm not gonna, Mike. You can you can decide that. You can, I, I'm not <laughs> okay. gonna say. I'm not gonna say. I, uh, all right. I think I know. I think I know. I think I think <laughs> you take the Dolphins every week for 17 weeks, including the bye week. Oh, that's just my I guess. Wanna, I'm, I'm all for a bye week. I've gone through one of those. Right. 16 straight weeks is tough. That's true. Well, that's right. And that was one of the things that hung over that season in 2017. People say, what went wrong? What went wrong is everything went wrong for the Dolphins that year. I mean, it's not an excuse. It's a reality. So hopefully you'll have your starting quarterback for a full season. Hopefully you won't have games moved around and bye weeks taken away. And hopefully you'll have fewer of the adversities that you had to deal with the last two years in Miami. Coach, appreciate some of your time. All the best going forward. Look forward to talking to you down the road. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks again to Coach Gase for his time. I've interviewed him several times before. And there's a comfort level with him that, that I think you, you've sensed, you've noticed, and I have that with several coaches and GMs throughout the league, and it's just a product of repetition. And look, the difference between an interview and a press conference, especially with someone you know, and with someone that you know isn't like looking to have a gotcha moment or set you, set you up to say something stupid that's going to be a viral thing, um, you know, they can relax and kind of be themselves. And we've been talking a lot this week about the Gase press conference, the Kitchens press conference. You throw these guys into suits. They never wear suits. You put them in a spot where there's all these reporters in there. Most of them you've never met before. You don't know what question is going to come next. It's just overwhelming. And uh, I think it's always better to get these guys in a setting like this, especially with it, with someone that they have that level of comfort with and they can, they can relax and, and provide some useful information that the fans will find helpful to understanding what the guy is all about. Small business owners, do you need help managing your cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, or upgrading your office space? Getting access to capital is incredibly challenging and time-consuming for small business owners. Most traditional banks lack the technology and resources to truly understand a small business. And besides, they'd rather just lend to larger, more established organizations. Well, OnDeck.com is 100% committed to the small business owner. You have fast, easy, and tailored financing, and you can get your funding in as fast as 24 hours. Term loans up to $500,000, lines of credit up to $100,000, and none of which require business collateral. The application process is simple, and it will not impact your personal credit. On Deck has loaned uh, $10 billion to over 80,000 small businesses, and it carries a 9.8 out of 10 rating on Trustpilot and an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. If you're a small business owner 
and you need access to capital, go to ondeck.com slash PFT right now. That's ondeck.com slash PFT. As a listener to the PFTPM podcast, you'll receive a free consultation with one of OnDeck's U.S.-based loan specialists. You can apply online or by phone and get approved in minutes. OnDeck.com slash PFT. O-N-D-E-C-K dot com slash PFT. Get your free consultation now. All right. I made the call for questions, but I made it clear. I ain't answering all of them. And by my calculation right now, 15 minutes of talking, 30 minutes of interview, I think it's time to take at most 15 minutes of questions. And I'm saying all this as I buy time to find the question that we posted, the call for your questions, and let's see what we have here. OPFTPM Posse asking an important question. Are you planning to take up bowling again this offseason? The PFTPM Posse doesn't want to see you give up on that lane life. Plus, we can all go bowling with C.J. Anderson as long as I get lane bumpers. Hey, listen, C.J. Anderson, six 300 games, he told us yesterday. He rolled a 250 the last time he went. I think my high was 153 last year. I got bowling shoes. I didn't get a bowling ball. It was hurting my thumb. I was having trouble getting the right ball. And then I was trying to get too fancy instead of just throwing it down the middle. And I was doing research about how they wax the lanes and you need to read the lanes and figure out how the ball's moving. That's I'm just going to go when I go back, and this is a perfect time of year to go because it's not like you're going to go outside this time of year. When I go back, I'm just going to throw the ball straight down the, the lane. And we had fun last year doing it. And there, were, there are times where I'm just horrible. And there are also times where I feel like, you know, I got the ball just right and it feels good. When all the pins go down, when you get a strike, it just feels good. So, yes, yes, PFTPM Posse, lane life is for me. I will be returning as long as it's still open. The place was for sale last year. I was so into it at one point I thought about buying the place, which that's how impulsive I am. Like, hey, I really like this. Hey, you know what? This is a cool place to be. Oh, it's for sale? Let's buy it. Thank God I didn't. Because when you own something like that, you kind of got to be there all the time. Kind of hard to make this business go if I was, you know. And then I'd want to put a bunch of money into it and improve everything and just make it like special and nice. And then you you look at the books and it's like, wait a minute. We're, 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 we're not making a profit because we're, we're spending more to make the place nicer than is coming through as we, as we try to run this thing. So probably a good idea to do that. PFTP and Posse wouldn't drafted, wouldn't getting drafted after round one be best for Kyler Murray because it gets him to free agency faster. He seems to get the business side of it, leverage and how to use it, as well as being motivated by money as he should be. Or when will we see a player try to hurt his draft spot? Now, I look, I, yeah, it's you, you get to free agency faster. You get to your second contract potentially faster because they can't squat on you for that extra year. But I, I don't think that's the case with, with Kyler Murray. It, it, this is about him getting drafted as high as possible, potentially by a hand-picked team. And if, if the scouting process results in a feeling that he would be a top half of round one prospect, he can say, look, here's what I want. I want to be drafted by this team, this team, or this team, for example. Higher than pick 12, because that would get him more than the $15 million he supposedly wants from baseball. And if it doesn't happen, I'm just going to play baseball. He's got the ultimate leverage. None of these other prospects can say with a straight face, I just won't play. Right? That's why they all view being drafted as an honor. What choice do they have? What, what choice do you have? 
you know, I'd, I'd really rather live in Pittsburgh. I'd rather work in Pittsburgh. My family's in Pittsburgh. This is where I want to be. The Steelers have a need at the position I play. Why can't I just go sign with the Steelers? I'm sorry, sir. You've been drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, and that is where you'll be spending your career at least for the first five years. Well, you can either view that as an honor to be a first-round pick of the Arizona Cardinals, or you can say, nah, I'll just get a job doing something else. I'll finish my degree. That's not how it works. You got no choice. Murray is one of the few who has a choice. And and trust me, these high-end quarterback prospects, they, they can squeeze a lot more than they do. And, and there's been some efforts behind the scenes. You know, when you reject an, an offer to go to a city and, and, and be worked out or, or you, you refuse to meet with them or whatever. There are ways you can scare away a team. But John Elway, Eli Manning are the only two who have really done it in a high-profile way. I, I think Kyler Murray has the ability to do it if he ultimately is viewed as a highly desirable prospect. And if he's not, screw it and play baseball. He's already a first-round draft pick in baseball. He's already signed the contract with a $4.66 million signing bonus. All right, I'm going to scroll forward here. Lots of PFTPM posse questions. I want to get to some of the other questions. The Real Forno, with C.J. Anderson's performance this past weekend, assuming it continues, what will his market be this offseason? It'll be... I, look, I, here's the thing. Veteran running backs don't get paid big money on the open market. But, but... If C.J. Anderson continues to rack up 100-yard games, and if he's playing those games at a time when 28 teams are home, and if the Rams win, 30 teams will be home, watching him, you come to the conclusion that maybe this kid can play. And maybe this is somebody we need to make the centerpiece of our running game. Maybe this is somebody we need to pay. Let's go do it. Now, the problem is he's got six years in now. At some point, the physical skills are going to start to diminish. But his mark is going to be a hell of a lot better than it would have been if the Raiders hadn't cut him and just kept him on the roster for the last few games of the season. So, you know, he had told me yesterday that when the Raiders cut him, he thought his season was over. The best thing that could have happened to him was the Rams calling and having a need because of Todd Gurley's knee swelling up during and after that Eagles game back in December on the Sunday night. So all good for C.J. Anderson so far. This will not hurt him. It's not going to be anything close to Le'Veon Bell money, but he should be able to parlay this into a good contract if he can continue to play at a high level And if the Rams win on Sunday and get to play in the Super Bowl and he can play well like he did for the Denver Broncos three years ago, that's good news for C.J. Anderson, who will be able to hit the market unfettered, unrestricted and and get the most he possibly can, even though we all know by now that most running backs don't get as much as they'd like to get because you can find so many good running backs anywhere you look, including a guy who's unsigned and unwanted otherwise in late December with the playoffs approaching. What else do we have here? LaMarca. I LaMarca. Nick LaMarca. Do you believe the negative publicity surrounding Mike Tomlin Steelers has anything to do with the lack of minority coaches getting attention this offseason? I don't think there's a connection. I don't think there's a connection at all. I, I, I'm trying to see one. I, I, I mean, is there, I, I don't, I can't even begin to discern where the connection would be. And the bottom line is this. There's plenty of chaos in Pittsburgh right now. And a lot of it, is the fault of Mike Tomlin. And my overriding criticism of Tomlin is he's one of those guys that can do the hard parts of the job. And there are too many guys out there that can't. But he fails at some of the easy parts of the job. And that, to me, if you're a Steelers fan, that's what should be concerning. And I I think that there's going to be some pressure on Mike Tomlin to start handling the hard parts of the, the easy parts of the job. Handle the easy parts of the job better. 
All right, let's see what else is here. El Marco lives. Which government is in more turmoil, U.S. or U.K.? Hashtag stick to football. I don't pay attention to U.K. politics, although I guess I should since PFT Live is now on Sky Sports USA. All I know is this. And we talked about this briefly today on PFT Live. And I try to make this a nonpartisan observation. I don't care who's to blame, right? You've got hundreds of thousands of employees, federal employees, who are pawns in this broader game of, I don't know what it is, chess, checkers, chicken. I don't know what it is, and I don't care. You've got lives that are being affected by the stubbornness of politicians, regardless of who's being more stubborn. I don't care. There's a fundamental stubbornness here that I don't think can completely be placed on anyone. The bottom line is this. There's a mess right now that needs to be fixed. And people of goodwill, people of sound mind and goodwill on both sides of the aisle, need to come together and fix this. Now, does that mean sitting down, Congress and president, and working this out? If so, do it. Find a way to give the guy something that he can take and use to declare a victory. You have to give him an exit from this. You have to give him something, right? The example we always use when you're in a tough negotiation, it's the missiles in Turkey. That was the thing that the U.S. was going to take out of Turkey anyway. And they gave that to the Russians to get the missiles that were in Cuba the hell out of Cuba. You find something to give the president so he can hold it up in the air and declare victory to his base. It's that simple. And failing that, then Congress needs to come together. If if the president won't accept something that he can take, which is essentially a hollow victory and trot it out as a real victory, and I don't know why he wouldn't do that. Politicians do it all the time. If he won't accept that, then Congress needs to get together and say, let's get the votes in place to override his veto power. Because if Congress really wants to, they can reopen the government. The bottom line, though, is they need to get this government reopened. They need to get these people paid. I don't know what's worse, being sent home without pay or being expected to come to work without pay. Can you imagine doing your job without pay? My heart goes out to anyone out there who has to show up every day and be sharp and be focused and be productive, and they ain't getting paid for it. Sorry, you're not paying me. I'm not showing up. I quit. I'll find a different job. Bye-bye. I'm surprised more people haven't done it. And I don't fault the TSA workers who are calling out. Because I'll tell you what, if they would shut down an airport or two, if they would all walk out at the same time, what are they going to do, fire them all? I don't think anybody's pulling a Ronald Reagan like with the air traffic controllers. Sorry, we're done. We're gone. See ya. Something like that is going to be necessary to end this. But it shouldn't come to that. It shouldn't come to that. As a people, I think we have among us and throughout us, a basic and fundamental level of goodwill that is not being reflected by our leaders right now. And that bothers me. It pisses me off. It really pisses me off. Because these are things that affect human beings who are citizens of this country. And they need to be taken into account. And there needs to be a way for adults of goodwill and sound mind to get this fixed. All right, I'm done complaining about that. I only have limited time today, but I, I, I don't like, I, I'll turn on MSNBC or CNN and I just, I don't get the sense. I mean, you get those stories about how this person's having an issue and this person's having a problem and that's fine, but I'm looking for the overriding big picture message from politicians who go on these shows saying, people, have we lost our damn minds? We have thousands of people and families who are suffering because either they don't have a job they can go to, or even worse, they have to go to a job and they're not getting paid. How long is that going to fly when you're trying to pay your bills? I hear all the time how so many Americans are just one or two missed paychecks away from being in poverty. Do we want to test that? 
Are we serious? And then the whole economic system collapses over it? I don't get it. I'm sorry. I don't get it. See, here's what... I got one more to say. Here's what happens when this nasty, ugly political system that we have scares off people who would be truly good leaders and attracts people who are getting into politics for improper agendas and motives. All right, that's all I'm saying about that. Wait, I got one more thing. No, I'm done. No, no, I'm done. Uh, (laughs) Black 88 Elite. How much longer does Andy Reid coach if he wins a Super Bowl? Look, I'm coaching as long as Patrick Mahomes is playing football because there's a chance Andy Reid ends up at Bill Belichick level by the time Patrick Mahomes is done. And if that means coaching at 75, I'm coaching at 75, baby. All right. Let's see what else we got here. I'm going to wrap this up soon. And I hear Macy barking. My wife's not here. And I think it's the I have to pee bark. So I don't want to clean up a pile of or a puddle of pee or a pile of poo. I better go soon. (sighs) Buffalo guy 83. Do you expect Drew Brees to retire if the Saints win the Super Bowl? Do you think Sean Payton will stick around New Orleans whenever Brees retires? I think Payton's going to go at some point. I don't think he's going to get run out like Mike McCarthy did in Green Bay. I think he's going to walk before they make him run. I don't know when that will be. I really don't. And the comments we played today from Jerry Jones talking about his coaches, talking about what might be available next week. Man, I'll tell you what. I was very intrigued as it relates to that longstanding rumor that the Cowboys at some point are going to make a run at Sean Payton. Because now Jerry Jones has to worry about the Browns, I think, getting in the mix. If it doesn't work with Kitchens, let's just go get Payton. Maybe this is the opportunity for Jerry Jones to go get Sean Payton. Go back and... Read the comments. Listen to the PFT live podcast from today when we play the comments. I, I was I was stunned when I heard it because I knew exactly what he was saying. Because he wouldn't give a commitment to Jason Garrett, and he talked about I don't know what may be available next week. What's he talking about? Unless they're going to clone Sean McVay or reanimate Vince Lombardi, who what's going to change between this week and next? K. Tom, 24. What did the Seahawks do with Earl Thomas? Try to resign him or let him go? What move do they need to make for next season? Let, let me just focus on Earl Thomas. They're going to let him walk away as a free agent, I believe. They're not going to pay franchise tag money. They're going to let him walk away, and they'll get a compensatory draft pick for him, or at least compensatory draft pick consideration in 2020. All right, the dog keeps barking. Um, so I need to run. If I didn't get to your question today, and there are several here that I see, uh, but uh, I, I need to run. I need to go. And uh, uh, thanks for listening to the PFTPM podcast today. Thanks to Matt LaFleur. Thanks to Adam Gase. Thanks to you. I'll try to do one more this week. We're three for three so far. I'll try to do one Thursday or Friday conference championship preview. I'll answer any and all questions that you pose to me in one of them. Deal. I promise, unless I change my mind. But we're, we're going to do our best to get that done. And I always feel bad. You take the time to ask the question. The least I can do is answer it. But I made it clear only the best. And I really didn't have a complicated screening process. I just scrolled and picked out questions that caught my eye. So with all that said, have a great day. PFT Live tomorrow morning. Chris Sims in studio on Thursday, plus plenty more to get you ready for the wild, not the wild card weekend, the wild conference championship weekend to come. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.